I am Alden Hathaway, the resigned Pittsburgh bishop, bishop in residence now uh, over in Beaufort, working with your neighbor congregation, Parish Church of St. Helena. And the only credentials I have by being here with you today is that I ordain Greg Kranz, whom I am standing in for this morning. I understand he's got most of the congregation down in Georgia someplace. Well, I think they're probably having a wonderful time. And so here we are together. And he has given me permission to preach about anything I want. In January of 1997, 20 years ago, just now, I went to Africa for the first time. So I want to talk to you this morning about mission. This sixth Sunday of Epiphany, the season wherein we recall and remember the manifestation of this one who said, I am the light of the world. We come to see in Jesus the light of God. Uh, When I was there this first time, I saw a little orphanage. Uh, They call them babies' homes in Africa, not orphanages. Mustard seed baby home. It was a wonderful facility of loving care, but no electricity, no light. Save for these smoky, oily candles. They call them tadobas. They're just the light of rural Africa. That's all they have. It was the seed for me of the vision for a mission. We call it solar light for Africa. Now, 20 years, 20 years, Barbara, my wife and I, uh, and my son Alden, who was also part of the beginning of this ministry, uh, we are being joined by some uh, folks from St. Helena's who are going to celebrate 20 years of solar light for Africa. For us, it will be a reunion of old friends and celebration of so much that went on, has gone on these years. So many young lives changed, American and African youth, changed by the one who said, I am the light of the world. That first time in Africa, I was uh, the guest of a friend, Bishop Wilson Tohoramanya. He was the bishop of the Diocese of Bunyaro Katara uh, at the city of Hoima in western Uganda. Any of you been there? there? Some of you have traveled to Uganda, have you not? I guess they're all in Georgia now. Is that it? Okay. Well, uh, it was was the annual convocation uh, of my friend, the bishop of Bunyaro Katara. Hundreds of people literally thousands from the villages and countryside gathered at the cathedral compound for four days of preaching and teaching and singing and dancing, powerful preaching, wonderful, wonderful teaching, glorious praise of God. And halfway through, I asked Bishop Wilson, I said to him, this is your annual convention, isn't it? He said, yes, yes, it is. I said, well, I haven't seen a budget yet. I haven't seen any resolutions. When are you going to do your business? And he answered, this is our business. Sunday afternoon, after the final service, all of the visiting bishops, and it's the custom in Africa so that one diocese has a convention, all the neighboring bishops that can travel there come to join in. 
Anyway, Sunday afternoon, after the final service, we were all in Bishop Wilson's front yard, having lunch, standing in a great circle around a huge tree. And the oldest, a retired bishop, began to tell the story of the martyrdom of the Archbishop Johnny Luum 20 years before. It was the terrible years of Idi Amin. That's 40 years ago just now. Archbishop Johnny had been outspoken against the president, against Amin and the government for the horrible atrocities against the people, arbitrary killings and disappearances. And it was a reign of terror. It was horrible. And the president, pathologically suspicious, had guns planted in the archbishop's house to accuse him of sedition and treason. February 16, 1977. Amin ordered the Anglican bishops to be gathered at the State Intelligence Agency for interrogation. They came to take away our archbishop, my friend, that old bishop telling the story, to interrogate him alone. We protested, but the soldiers beat us back. They took Janani to a room and tried to force him to sign the confession. He would not. They stripped him of his cassock and beat him to the floor with rifle butts. At one point, he struggled to his knees and began to pray. He prayed for the people. He prayed for Uganda. He prayed for Amin. And so infuriated the president that he went out and got his service revolver and point blank shot our archbishop. Now, as I, as I recall that, conversation that around the tree in the bishop's yard, the old bishop telling me that report. What moves me so much about it was the way the other bishops in the circle under that great tree that Sunday afternoon were hearing it. This so familiar, so precious to them report. There was no anger or bitterness or grief or sadness or despair from them but rather joyful cries. Yes, yes, yes. The old bishop turned to me and said with a light in his eyes, You see, the president thought he could destroy the church by killing its leader. The president didn't know the story. There was a memorial service for the archbishop at Namurimbi Cathedral, Huge African Gothic building on top of Namarumbi Hill overlooking the whole of the capital city. It was some time later that the government finally released the archbishop's body. Killed in an automobile crash was the official report. The archbishop was seeking to escape. And though the government had forbidden anyone to attend that service under pain of punishment, Thousands upon thousands on Namrimbi Hill to hear the preacher. You come here seeking Janani. He is not here. He is with God. The Ugandan church knows the story. The Ugandan people know the story. The young people of Uganda know the story. They know the story of Jesus. How he was killed and is alive. They know the story of the wonderful things God has done. You see, it is their story. 
Their lives as young men and women, as Ugandans, they are defined by the story. It is their hope in God. So my sermon with you today, the end of Epiphany season, my sermon is about light and hope and mission and young people and mission and hope and life. For the last 18 years, we have taken young Americans to Africa partnering them with young Ugandans, same age, comparable education, they all speak English. And we haul them out into the bush over terrible roads and bouncing Japanese buses to install solar equipment for electric power in rural facilities, schools, clinics, orphanages, bringing power and light to people who live in darkness. And typical of wonderful memories I have about that is of The Ugandan youth sitting across the back seats of the bus with the scriptures open in their laps. The American kids hovering around them, drinking in the word. Like thirsty desert creatures come to an oasis. It is a life-changing experience for our American young people. And, And typically at some point in the mission, the Ugandans will ask their American friends the question, One way or another, the question is this. You live in a wonderful country. Your roads, your buildings, your schools, your beautiful things, your prosperity, your security, your freedom, your opportunity, your hope. How have you done it? The young Ugandans want to know. For they are the ones who are building their country. They are the ones building bringing it out of superstition and tribalism, ignorance and corruption to a just and democratic and peaceable society. They trust the foundation to be set upon the promises of God. And they know enough of our history to know how we began. But what they want to know is how did it happen? How was it done? And more than that, how is it kept? The Ugandan kids are are amazed to find their American friends are hard-pressed to answer their questions. Well, it it just happens. It's it's what we expect. I mean, uh, it's ours by right, isn't it? Their Ugandan friends know that that just doesn't get it. What a fragile thing peace is. Liberty, prosperity, human dignity. Fragile. Fragile indeed. The summer of 2005, our solar youth mission to Uganda was far to the west of the country, up in the foothills of the Ruanzori mountain range, just beyond us rising the snow-capped mountains of the moon. Glorious country. And, And we were there to install solar lights in a small village, individual homes scattered here and there, up and down, clinging to the steep slopes, hill slopes. It took a bit of doing, getting our teams loaded with equipment up the narrow paths. And the first day we were able to complete only one installation up there. That night, back at the place where we were staying, we could look up to the area where we'd been working. And one light, one light shining in the black darkness of the equatorial night. 
The next day, back on the heights to continue the installations, the villagers were rejoicing to tell us, so many uphill and down coming to this house last night out of the darkness, praising God, enjoying the light. There is a song popular among the African kids, uh, members of our team. It goes like this. Shout for joy, O Africa. The Lord of life has risen upon you now. Jambalaya, jambalaya, Africa. Shout for joy, O Africa. The Lord of life has risen upon you now. Well, we've traveled some very rough roads, stayed in some very rough places, Another day I shall never forget. Let me tell you about it. Up early with a little fruit and bread for breakfast, long drive to a remote southwest frontier of the country. The mountains and the impenetrable forest to the Congo beyond, home to tribes of pygmy peoples. And and there a school run by the Anglican Church of Uganda We went to install solar on the buildings to provide light for the students to study at night. Our teams went to work, the American kids, the African friends, working side by side. Ladders went up and the panels lifted to the rooftops and batteries and converters placed, rooms wired, lighting fixtures hung from the ceiling and the rafters, the work going on. And and Bishop George conducted me on a tour And as the student body gathered at opening formation, I was fascinated to see, uh, sprinkled among the secondary school uh, classes, these very short boys and girls. But but they were 16, 17, 18-year-olds. They were the pygmy children. And and Bishop, I asked him, I, I said, these people have been living in the forest for millennium. Why are we taking their children out and subjecting them to an entirely foreign way of life, so foreign to that of their parents and their ancestors? Oh, we are not taking them away from the forest, the bishop told me. They are coming. The war in Congo over there. The development in Uganda over here. Their parents want them to have a future in the modern world. And because Jesus loves them, We're giving them an education so that they will have a chance, so that they will have a chance. But of course, but of course, for the true light that enlightens every man was coming into the world, that enlightens every man, every woman, every race, every nation. How's the song go? He's got the whole world in his hands. The whole world. We labored all day and with only the barest of lunch. And as the afternoon wore on and the storm clouds piled up over the mountains and the rains came torrential, scrambling to complete the work, we were exhausted. But it was insisted that we travel back into the forest, to the foothills, to visit the pygmy home area. And it was a difficult track for the bus until we finally had to disembark and follow the forest trail. It was spooky in the gathering mist after the rain, the dense wood, until we came to a clearing. And there were two two single-room cinder block houses erected by the government. 
transition facilities for the people used to living naked in the trees. Our Ugandan mission team had, had been there before to install the most rudimentary of lighting. People wanted to greet us and to bless the light. These lovely little people, all dressed in the most garish of odd clothes, respect for us who are not so comfortable with total nakedness. And as we prayed in the name of God who has created the light and given us his son who is the light, we turned on the little lights which were sparkling in the gathering gloom. And they began to sing and dance, enfolding us in their grateful enthusiasm. I, I could understand only a little of what they were saying, but I gathered this much. You came to us all the way from America to bring us the light, because Jesus has heard our prayers and called you. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise God. Praise Jesus. Thank you, Holy Ghost. Tuku tenderesa Yesu. That simply means praise the Lord. It was a very frightening walk back to the bus, hoping we would not lose anyone in the dark. We did lose two people, as a matter of fact, finally found them. It was scary. The long drive to the church center where we were to spend the night and hungry and tired and cold and wet and grumpy and frightened, wondering how we were going to be treated, how we were ever going to get, to get home, and why in the world had we ever signed on for this terrible trip. As I, as I think about that day, though, I recall the thank you address of a bishop that a bishop made to us in one place. He, he, he told us a story to illustrate, an African story. Here it is. Once there was a man hurrying to get home to his village before dark. He was afraid of the night dancers. Now, what night dancers are, are evil spirits, deranged individuals, intoxicated by the dark, who do horrible things to people in the darkness. Too late, the sunset, darkness, the terrified, the terrified the man. He got down on the path, crouching with his hands over his head, waiting for the light of dawn. Another fellow, also hurrying, heard the first, also terrified, down on the ground, arms overhead, until the dawn, until the light of the sun, and they saw they were brothers. You have brought us the light, the bishop said to us, for the light dispels the darkness of superstition and ignorance. It defeats the evil spirits of the night dancers that attack men's souls that we may see that we are brothers, is the light that Jesus brings because he is the Son of God. Well, that day that I was just describing, that night so long ago, finally pulling into the church mission compound where we were to spend the night, spilling out of the buses, to be greeted by the Boys' Brigade marching band with old beat-up instruments and African drums beating out a spirited rendition of When the Saints Go Marching In. And we danced and danced under a rising full moon into the equatorial night, and our hearts were bursting with joy upon joy, an eternal weight of glory. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us.
One more story. This is the last one. But it puts it all together for me. A small cinder block building out on a wild, wide prairie kind of area, far from any town or village. A birthing clinic. The women coming from far and around to bear their babies in a safe and clean place. Helped by a trained midwives and rudimentary medical assets. But no electricity, no night, no light, save for the oily, sooty Todobas. Our team, our team goes to work installing solar panels and incandescent lights. And late in the day, my inspection tour, one of the delivery rooms, a high school boy from Tallahassee, Florida, climbs down from the birthing table where he's been wiring a single light fixture to the ceiling. He hands me the oily, sooty tin can Todoba. I don't know whether it's this one or not, but one. Bishop, he said, the woman who gave birth here last night, this is the only light she had. I think of her baby taking its first breath, breathing in the fumes, the smoke, the soot. The woman who gives birth here tonight, her baby will breathe in clean, fresh air. Because of the solar light I've just installed. I mean, I mean, it means a lot to me. I guess this is the reason I came on this mission trip. Epiphany is all about light and life. It's all about the great mystery of God's redeeming grace revealed. It's all about Jesus Christ. It's all about Christian mission and how it happens. It's all about you and it's all about me who confess Jesus as Savior and Lord. So may I ask you a question this morning, a personal question. Do these stories touch your heart? I pray that they may have touched your heart. For when a person comes to know Jesus and begins to love him with all their heart and soul and mind, as the scripture commands us to do. Then that boy, that girl, that woman, that man, they are moved by a passion, a yearning of the soul, that their lives might count for something true and good and holy. And that is who Jesus is. In a person's life, I mean, that is who Jesus is to love him and follow him and to serve in his name. And that others, a passion that others might come to know and love Jesus as well, is to gain a missionary heart. Indeed, it is true that unless you do have a missionary heart, you only have half the blessing that Christian faith brings to a person's life. You only have half the joy. If that, I pray that today the missionary imagination of your heart might be quickened. That you may understand yourself and the meaning of your life. Not only as a receiver of the light of Christ, but a dispenser of it as well. A missionary. A light set on a hill shining, beckoning all people who will to come and see and believe and praise the God of our making and the Lord Jesus, our Savior and our friend.
Oh, uh, by the way, you don't have to go to Africa to learn this. Uh, or be young and adventurous or travel far and away, uh, bouncing around in Japanese buses. You can learn, even across your own street or around your own breakfast table, to learn a new song. Shout for joy, America, the Lord of life has risen among you now. Jambalai, Jambalai, America. I love that song. Well, thank you for welcoming me here back to St. Luke's and allowing me to share African adventures with you. What I've learned about mission, what I hold sacred in my life, my love for my Lord Jesus, to witness and to tell the story. You see, this is the business of the Christian. This is the business of the church. God bless you. God bless us all. Amen.